The following audio content is a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org. We're in this season of Lent, uh, 40 days of preparation for Easter, uh, for Holy Week, the events that are coming. And it's a time for honest reflection. It's a time for uh, to remember uh, Ash Wednesday that we were we are dust. From dust we came. From dust we will return. It's a time of repentance, of getting honest in our conversations with God, and it's a sober time of anticipation, anticipating the events that happen during Holy Week: the Jesus betrayal, the cross, His death, and His resurrection. It's interesting, though, as George mentioned last week, that uh, Sundays are not counted in the forty days, and the reason is that every Sunday is a day to celebrate the resurrection all year long, because it's true all year long. So as we enter into Lent, uh, knowing full well that this, how this story turns out, we come face-to-face with the reality of God's grace that surrounds this season and is, frankly, in it every single day. We come today to a, a psalm, Psalm 51, which is one of the incredible psalms of confession in all of Scripture. It's a psalm that David wrote. It's, a, it's the psalm he wrote after Nathan confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. It may be David's psalm, but he wrote it. Psalms are written for congregations to use. And so as we read it today, I'd encourage you to not only hear it, but maybe use it as a prayer as I read it that might help you speak to your heart, your honest heart to the Lord. So let's listen and let's pray as we hear the words of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and do what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O Lord, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we, we all have a story, and most uh, of our stories are long enough to be books. 
many, many chapters in them. The books are about our life, our life, how we live it, who we love in it, what we do in it, our successes in it, our failures in it. There are many chapters, uh, and many of the chapters have lots of twists and turns in them. There are chapters that are about joy. There are chapters about messes. There are chapters about our sin. The first chapter of each of our books is written by God. God is the creator, the sustainer of our lives, and he authors that. And yet God chooses only to be a co-author, a co-writer of our story. We are also the author. And so we get to take the story where we want it to go. And sometimes that's in odd directions. In each of our stories, we have many chapters where we fail, where we sin. We breach our relationship with God. We breach our relationship with other people, with ourselves. Paul said in Romans in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we prove this in our stories. Chapter after chapter, at least sections of chapters, we all have a story that's being written even now, and sometimes the story with a lot of messes in it. Well, David as he prepared to write this psalm, um, has a story as well. Many of his chapters uh, are excellent chapters. The great king of Israel, David. But there are some dark chapters as well. And a dark chapter precedes this psalm. And I'd like to remind you of that story. Here are the characters. David, Bathsheba, Uriah, Nathan, and the nation Israel as well, and the Lord. David, as you recall, is the king of Israel. He's the great king of Israel. He's the one with power and authority in Israel. And he's the one who is, is thought of even today as one of the great kings of Israel. And one afternoon, David is up on his roof, and he's looking around, and he sees over the rooftops a beautiful woman who's taking a bath. And he sends to find out who she is, and he discovers that she is the wife of Uriah, and her name is Bathsheba. But even though she's married, David sends for her, And when she arrives, David lays with her, and then she goes home. And she finds out she's pregnant, and so she tells David. And so David begins this great cover-up. There's no gate involved in this, but it's it's great cover-up. And so David thinks of a way to maybe cover this up. He he finds, um, he knows Bathsheba's husband is Uriah. He's in the army, the army that David has sent out to war. And so David asks that Uriah be sent home to give him a briefing on the war. So Uriah comes back, he gives him a briefing on the war, and then he sends him home after the briefing. Go, go stay with your wife. And he thinks this is going to solve this. He, of course, David thinks Uriah is going to go sleep with his wife and all will be covered up. But Uriah is this, this loyal soldier. He, he has this solidarity with the troops in the field, and he will not enjoy any pleasure. He will live the rough rough and hard life of a, of a soldier while he's even in the, in the uh, king's city. And so he just sleeps on David's doorstep and doesn't even uh, go and see his wife. So that kind of thwarts David's uh, plan for a cover-up, doesn't it? So David gets a, a little smarter in some ways, in a conniving way, and he sends Uriah back to the battle, but he sends orders to the general to move Uriah to the most intense part of the battle and then to withdraw from him and just leave him out there alone, abandon him. Well, that happens, and Uriah is killed. Of course he's killed. And then David calls for Bathsheba and marries her, and the cover-up is made complete. At least he thinks it is. Well, that now enters Nathan the prophet. Nathan comes to David, and he tells him a story. Tells him a story about... Two men, one rich, one poor. 
One had many, many flocks of sheep. The other had just one lamb. The poor man brought up the lamb like it was part of his family, like a treasured family member or or treasured household pet, really even more than that. And so a traveler comes to town, and the rich man, who has many, many flocks, instead of taking one of his flock, uh, one of his sheep, and preparing it for the feast for this traveler, he takes the one lamb of the poor man, and he prepares that lamb to feed the traveler. So David hears this story, and he becomes very angry. And he says to Nathan, as, as the Lord lives, this man, what this man has done, he deserves to die. Kind of interesting, kind of death penalty for killing the family pet. That's a bit of excess, but he does. He says that. And then Nathan says, David, you are the man. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you out of the hands of Saul. And Nathan goes on and on to recount all the things that God has done for David and for the nation Israel and all the ways that David has failed and has sinned. So after Nathan does that and recounts all of that, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's the backdrop to this psalm, this great psalm of confession. It's the dark chapter in David's story. There are really three sections to this psalm, three major themes in it. The first is the reality of our sinfulness, and David is facing that. But he is not the only one who has to face that. We all do. We all have this problem of sin. We were created to be in fellowship with God, to enjoy God and to serve him forever. But we put ourselves often in the position where that fellowship is broken, where the psalm says, where the joy of the Lord is gone. Sometimes it's broken and something's just the matter. We've messed it up and we cannot fix it. And so David confesses this. In verse 3 he says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. It's, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that David perceives himself as sinning against the Lord only. I mean, what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about uh, uh, the whole nation Israel? I mean, incredible abuse of power, betraying one of his soldiers who served him, uh, lying, living a lie in front of the whole nation, having Uriah killed, um, overpowering Bathsheba. What a terrible sin. But ultimately, even when our sin is against other people, it is also against God, the one who created and who loved all the people we hurt. If we mess with what God has created, his people especially, we have to answer to God. And that's what David is recognizing. So he acknowledges that his sin is against God. And he gets very honest and he just lays it out to God with a repentant heart. And that's what confession is. Laying it out to God with a heart that is broken and contrite, repentant. The problem that we have is that we all have this sinful nature. In verse 5, David alludes to it. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. We're human. We are members of a sinful race since Adam and Eve sinned. We are created good, but we sure have the propensity to do bad. And it is our kind of inborn inclination to do exactly that, to do wrong. And how do we overcome this? How, what can we do in the face of this? It's, it's really only by the power of God through Jesus Christ that we can be transformed. So I have some questions for us as we face this sin in our life. I mean, how do we face it? Do we 
honestly face it? Probably not all the time. Do we own it? Maybe sometimes. Do we deny it? Do we see the problem that we're creating when it happens, when we breach this relationship with God and with others as well? Well, oftentimes I find some of the most refreshing stories or ways of looking at this by looking at children when they misbehave and how they react, because I can relate to how they respond. So let me just share with you maybe three ways I've seen children respond over the years. One one is this little girl who, when she's being babysat by her aunt, uh, and she's behaving badly sometimes, the little girl's behaving badly, she, she looks at her aunt and she says to her, don't see me, don't see me. Don't look, you know, I don't want you to see it. And I think sometimes we respond that way when we sin. We don't want, to, we want it to be in secret. We don't want anyone to know. We don't want anyone to see. We don't even want to know ourselves. We don't even want to connect that ourselves. But we, are, we especially don't want God to know. Or maybe it's like the little boy who, a few days before Christmas, remembers those great Christmas cookies in the cookie jar in the kitchen and decides to get up in the middle of the night and eat all but one of them. Because they're so good. And the next morning when his sister went to take inventory of the cookie jar for the cookies she might get that day, she realized there was only one left and boy, he got in trouble. And mom came and said, did you eat those cookies? And he said, no. And the sister, of course, being the diligent investigator that she was, went to the bed and saw the crumbs all over the sheets <laughs> and reported into the chief detective, mom. And said, you know, and mom said, you know, I'm not going to punish you if you just own up to the fact that you did it. And the little boy said, no. <laughs> Do we have such a hard time admitting that we've done something wrong that we can't even face it ourselves? We live in denial. So we are, we're so unwilling to own our failure that we just say it didn't happen. Or maybe it's like the little girl who is playing with her friend and this little friend, maybe three or four years old, and, and just grabs a lock of her hair, and pulls it out. <laughs> and mom, the mom asks, did you just pull out a lock of your friend's hair? And she said, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> Is this how we respond to sin? Absolutely honest in our actions, but not at all convinced we did anything wrong. We feel like we can make up our own rules because it suited us. We all sin. We all sin. Sometimes we write chapters in our story where we are the rebel, choosing to do anything we want, even when it violates what is important to God. We make ourselves to be God. Or sometimes we write chapters in our story where we just flat out fail. In what we do or what we don't do, we fall short of what is pleasing to God. And sometimes we write chapters where we just wander. We wander away from God, and the further and further we get in far-off places, we realize we're far from living the way he'd have us live as well, and we're distant from him. So sin is this reality. It's the reality in our lives. It is the mess we create that we cannot clean up, and that was certainly David's dilemma. And so what did he do? He came to the Lord. And that's the second major theme of this psalm, the blessing of God's forgiveness. This psalm speaks not only of our sin, but of the reality of God's forgiveness. Bruce Larson often said, people know the bad news. What they need to know is the good news. And fortunately for us, this psalm shares the good news as well. We deserve God's judgment. We should turn our, God should turn his face away, away from us instead of towards us. 
But he's willing to have mercy on us. He wants to show us his unfailing love and, and his great compassion. So notice some of the ways that David asks to know this love, the, the grace, the pardon of God. In verse 1 he says, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash away all my iniquities. Cleanse me from my sin. Verse nine, 8 and 9, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me a willing in me a willing spirit. David wants a new chapter in his story. He wants to move on from this sin. And now more than that, he wants God to blot out the bad chapters as well. And he's calling on God to rewrite his story in some ways. He, he wants to be a totally different person than he was when he was acting in the dark chapters of his life. And this is what we all need as well. It's what we want. We want a new chapter, a story that is rewritten. But we are helpless, absolutely helpless to do this ourselves. We need God to transform us. And he is willing to do just that if we ask him to do it. One of my favorite affirmations in all of scripture is found in Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 23. And it kind of sums this up. Uh, I'm going to read this from the message. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we were utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we were in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. This is the new chapter. God blots out the pages that are full of sin. He washes away our sin. This is the promise, the covenant that we celebrate in baptism today. It is the work that God does. It's not ours to do. It is God's to do. We cannot remove these from ourselves. And it is what is needed to restore our relationship with God. It's interesting, David's reaction uh, to Nathan's story is one of anger, isn't it? I mean, he, he hears about the one lamb being taken, and David gets furious, and he says, you know, this man deserves to die. Kind of a disproportional reaction, a justice reaction. Maybe at least compensate for the pet or or do something even more than that. But but die, really? And oftentimes we want this kind of disproportional um, justice but there's, there's another direction to this. God does not want that kind of justice for us. He wants to forgive. David even starts this psalm recognizing God's love. It's the only way he can even start it. We walk into the, the loving arms of God as we confess. He wants, God wants to forgive us and he wants to heal our relationship with him. I mean, God's grace is what is really the disproportional thing. In the face of our rebellion, it is in the face of our sin, in the face of our running away from God, God showers us with his grace and with his forgiveness. It is not deserved. It is far beyond just a fresh start. It is love that transforms our lives. Several years ago, a young woman came to see me in my office, and she was obviously struggling. Um, she had a hard time even looking me in the eye. She looked at her lap mostly, just her head down. And she was incredibly burdened. I, I asked her, what did she want to talk about? She said she wanted to know how to pray. And so I asked her uh, how she was doing that right now. And she said that when she went to bed at night, she would kneel next to her bed and she would try to say a prayer to God, 
but the words were not right. She knew they weren't right. She would try again to talk to God, but the words seemed wrong again. And I asked her, I said, what, what, what would happen then? And she said that after several hours, her legs would fall asleep and she would give up and just go to bed. This woman is trapped. She could not imagine a God who is loving, who wanted to hear her honest heart. She didn't know that none of us have exactly the right words. She could not imagine that God wanted to know her so much that he died for her and would forgive her as she brought her sincere and repentant heart to him. And when she understood this, God's love began to transform her life. The question is, do you believe that for you? Do you think this love is for you too, that God wants to hear? Another woman came and met with me in my office one time and asked if she could attend UPC. I said, well, of course you can. This is a church for you. I'd love to have you come. But I don't think you understand, she said. I, I said, well, she said, I've done some bad things. I said, well, yes, but this is a fellowship of sinners. We've all done some bad things, and we confess those to the Lord, and we count on the Lord to transform our lives. But I don't think you understand how bad a person I am, she said. She proceeded to tell me some of the choices she'd made in her life that she felt tremendous guilt over. She shared her failures with me and she, how she would do it differently if she could only take it back and try again, but she couldn't. And so I had the privilege of assuring her that God's love was for her, not just for everyone else. That she was welcome here and that she needed to pray to God that he would transform her life into one full of the joy of God's forgiveness and love. She was trapped as well, trapped in the memory of her sin. She could not imagine God's forgiveness could be for her. And the things that she did nodded her. They ached. She felt so guilty. She could bring her honest and repentant heart to God, but she could not imagine anything but rejection. But God's grace did break into her life, and many of us had to help her believe that for herself in the beginning. She could not do it for herself. But God could, and her life has been transformed from constant guilt to one of thankfulness. This can happen for us. This can happen for you. It can happen for me. This is what grace does in our lives. It kind of brings us to the third major theme in this psalm. That is a life of thankfulness. David describes what would happen if God actually changed David's heart. He said, David says this, Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. My tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a humble spirit, a humble and repentant heart, O God, you will not despise. The gift of God's grace here, his love, his forgiveness, is so great that it cannot be contained. It begins to spill out of our lives. David talked about singing praise to God, telling those others who were sinners who needed to repent about the grace of God. Not that they were bad. They knew the bad news. He was telling them about the good news. These are the chapters I think we all want in our story, the ones of generosity, the ones of thankful living. We see this in, in Jesus' response, or the response of people in Jesus' ministry as well. You know, if, if you read, go through the pages of the Gospels, Jesus many times heals someone and then tells them, not all the time, but tells them, Go and tell no one. Well, what happens? They go and tell everyone. They regularly fail at this. They fail at this because it just can't be contained. 
This is such good news. They have to tell people. They're compelled to tell people. They can't keep the secret. And ultimately, this is what God wants to happen in our lives, that we would know his love and grace, that we would come to him with our honest, repentant hearts, facing our sin, facing our failures, that we receive God's disproportionate grace, his complete forgiveness, to the point that God does not even remember our sins. I mean, don't you wish we could not remember our sins? We do remember them. We're tormented by them. Those who we hurt remember them. The consequences of our sins walk with us sometimes our whole lifetime. But God will forgive them, and God will blot them out from his memory. It is incredible grace. God wants us to live this thankful life in light of this amazing gift. This life of thankfulness is a result of the overflowing of God's grace, the joy of God in our lives because of this forgiveness. It, it transforms us. It changes us to become generous people who share amazing love with others. I remember talking to a man about my dad's age for about 10 years on this theme of grace. And during that time, it, it never quite resolved you know, I'd share with him that the, the mess we make in our lives, God can resolve by his grace through Jesus Christ. And he listened to me, and he didn't seem to get it for this long, long period of time. I mean, I could hear in his response to me that uh, the, the book of his life, he would turn the chapter to a ledger sheet. It would have good deeds on one side of the page and bad deeds on the other side. And if, if, the, if the good deeds outweighed the bad deeds, he thought he'd be just fine with God in the end. It was a picture of his own performance. He didn't get what grace is about. Then one day, he was leaving the UPC sanctuary here, and I saw him in the narthex. And he had this kind of look of discovery and wonder on his face. And so I said, so what's going on? And he said, you know, this, this grace, grace stuff, it's really good. <laughs> and I said, you know, it can change your life. That's why they call it the good news. It can change your life. It can transform those around you as well. And so I guess my challenge to all of us is during this Lenten season, what do we take away from this song? I mean, it is our time to be honest and repentant to God. We can bring the mess to him that we've created in our lives. It is, it's our time to receive grace, forgiveness that begins a new chapter in our story that blots out the sins of our past. And it's our time to tell people, to show people the good news of God. They, they know the bad news. They need to know the good news. It's transforming news. So whether it be to your neighbor who's just lost his or her job and is crushed right now, or a friend who's facing a failed marriage, or a co-worker who's feeling alone or isolated, or the family that you visit in the hospital, or someone who is grieving the loss of a spouse, or the store clerk you see four times a week, or the son or daughter who lives under your roof or across the country, we can help them to know that grace has transformed us and it is a gift for them as well. Let's pray together. Lord, so many chapters in our lives have parts of them, Lord, that are a mess. We need you to know that, we need to be honest before you in that, and we ask you, Lord, to blot it out, to make it as white as snow. And, Lord, we want a new chapter. We want a new chapter in our life where we live lives that are full of thankfulness and hope 
because of the joy of your forgiveness. Lord, help us to be those people. Help us to just tell our story that way to others. Help us to share the good news, not just the bad news with people. Change our lives, Lord. In your son's name, amen. All University Presbyterian Church online audio is available on both CD and cassette. If you would like to support the mission of UPC by ordering copies of sermons or classes, please visit www.upc.org forward slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.